Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, rising sun. My name is John Russell, and Fort Mitchell, Kentucky is just across the river from Cincinnati. I started there in 1970. The church was about a year old when I began, and I retired from there in 2010. So if you do your math, that was 40 years in the same spot. And since 2010, I've gone to various churches in between preachers and did interims and things like that, helping them to find somebody. But they felt like 40 years, they put up with Moses, and 40 years was enough for me as well. And so I moved on. So if you are in this area, you probably never heard of me. It's kind of like we're on a blind date. Uh, you know, you remember what blind dates, or some of you may have met as blind dates. Never forget, uh, if you saw a picture of me in high school, you would understand that blind dates were just about the only thing I could have. But anyways, I had my good friend Chuck, who was really a ladies' man, came to me one weekend, and he said, John, what are you doing this Friday night? Well, most Friday nights with me were free, and I said, why? He said, well, he said, I want to take my girlfriend to the movies but my cousin is, cousin Doris from Cleveland is coming in for the weekend, and my mother says I can't go unless I find a, someone to escort Doris. Now, Doris from Cleveland didn't sound all that exciting to me, and I said, I, I don't know, Chuck. She said, come on. He said, you'll like her. She's got a great personality. Now, you know what that normally means when they say that, when it comes down to that. I said, I don't know. He said, John, tell you what, let's do a guarantee. You come down to my house on Friday evening and knock on the door, and I'll send Doris to the door. And if you see her and you aren't too happy with her, just grab your throat and go, <laughs> like you're having an asthma attack, and we'll dismiss you and we'll just go on. I said, I don't know. He said, John, it works. I know I've done it. So he said, just try it. So, okay, came time for Friday night. I went down to Chuck's house. I knocked on the door, and Doris opened the door, and Chuck hadn't been honest. She was absolutely gorgeous. And I stood there speechless. And she looked at me, and she went, (laughs) So, if you see one of your elders or one of your worship people kind of grabbing their throat while I'm going through this, kind of give me a sign, and we'll begin to to wrap it up and change it down. In October of 2011, on October the 5th, there were three lives that intersected that you probably would never imagine putting them together. One was an inventor, one was a preacher, and one was a soldier. Steve Jobs had over 300 patents. He was a brilliant thinker as well as an adventure capitalist Apple Computers was a startup, had its ups and downs, but the creative genius of its founder was never in doubt. Fred Shuttlesworth preached for 40 years in the city of Cincinnati. Prior to that, he had been a leading spokesman for the civil rights movement, 
deep in the struggle in Birmingham, Alabama, and having his church and his house burned to the ground in the 1950s, but he stood up for the principles of equality. Kathleen Brennan grew up in the church where I preached and served. She went on to be a soldier and then a mother raising three children and then returning to serving her country as the kids got older and were leaving home. Now you think about those three and you say, what possibly could those three divergent people from different parts of the country ever have to share alive? Well, they passed away on the same day. Jobs at 56, Shuttlesworth at 89, and Brennan at 45. Man does not know the hour, and that moment awaits all of us, does it? Now you say, what's the sum total of their lives as they passed away? How do you measure the contribution? Well, Stephen Jobs was really extremely well known. He was applauded. Many of you may have his product in your pocket or your purse. Hopefully it's turned off right at this time. Shuttlesworth was revered both locally as well as internationally for his contribution. Several people said he was really a better speaker than Martin Luther King Jr. during that time. Kathleen Brennan, comparatively speaking, lived a pretty quiet life. In the latter stages of that life, battling cancer very courageously. But they all died living out the life and they faced their creator. Now the paths they took were different. You wouldn't expect Kathleen Brennan to be a civil rights leader, nor to Fred Shuttlesworth to be the entrepreneur, or for Stephen Jobs to be the humble soldier mother. Each of them chose their direction and chose their way and lived out their life before God. And I can guarantee you that every one of them was precious in his sight. You see, the value of a life is really not to be measured in accomplishments so much as it is in continuance. There's a phrase I want you to think about as we go through this passage this morning and consider it on two fronts as you would because I want you to consider for you personally and for the church here at Rising Sun, because here's a key phrase I want you to listen to in that passage that you find in Hebrews chapter 12. Here it is. Let us run the race marked out for us. You and I, you see, are in a race. The pattern can be different. The, the way to Christ is the same. Jesus is the only way. His grace is there. But there is a race marked out for us that would be different from everyone else, whether you are a billion entrepreneur, a humble civil rights preacher, or a sweet, gentle soldier mother. And the question is, how do I find my pace in my race? How does my church find its pace during this period of transition? Let me offer you the full passage that I took those, and I think we can answer those questions. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We read this. Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Within this passage, I think is clearly marked for us the race with four things directly stated and one thing inferred. So as we do this, let's ask ourselves personally, how am I doing on my race in my pace before God, how is the church doing in that respect? Because I believe that effective individuals and churches must do the following. First of all, they've got to discard the frivolous. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. If you went to the local high school and you were deciding to go to a track meet and watch the track meet there, and it came time for the 100-yard dash, and you saw one of the runners get into the blocks with a three-piece suit and a pair of wingtip shoes about to race, you think, that man is a fool. Because people who want to win a race get rid of the frivolous clothing and try as best they can to go as fast as they can. Even swimmers shave their whole body from the hair so they're not hindered by the friction that can withstand or cannot withstand that which is going through. And the Hebrew author says there's two areas of friction that people and churches run into that they can lose valuable time and energy in their pace. The sins that hinder and the things that entangle. Too often, I'm afraid, we're weighing ourselves down with the accumulation of stuff, both physical as well as emotional, that sidetracks us and really holds us back, doesn't it? How often have we let the small things have too much major attention in our life? One of my favorite short stories in the Old Testament comes in 1 Kings chapter 20. When a guard is assigned and given specific orders to guard an important prisoner and don't let him escape. But when they come back, the guard had let the prisoner escape. And when they ask him, why did he do this? He responded, while your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. I have watched people allow too many minor and mundane things replace the important and the internal in their life, and they never really grasp it happening or occurring. Their details have to be handled, I recognize that, but how often do we let the trivial dictate to us? In a church that can be really happen because we become so dominated by side issues that we weigh the church down with legalistic tendencies or stylistic preferences to the way that used to be done years ago that we've got to go back and do it that way. 
or that you've got to have the same feeling about this issue as I do. There was one church I preached at uh, a while back in uh, northern Ohio, and they had what they called dual services like you did, but they also had classes and, and small groups meeting during each of the hours. So you preach and you can go to a, a small group during the first hour or the second hour, and it was going on at the same time as I was preaching. Well, I got done with the first hour, and so I slipped out the back of the stage trying to find the restroom because at my age, that's really important to be able to find that. So I'm making my way down, and there was an adult class that was letting out just as I was walking by, and an elderly lady stepped out in front of me, and my picture had been there as a guest speaker that day, and all was going to happen, and she kind of pointed her finger at me, and she said, what's your view on the millennium? Now, the millennium is a thousand years as spoken about in Revelation. It's pretty complex, and I looked at her, and quickly I said, I'm for it. Why? And she said, no. She said, are you premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial? What are you? I said, well, if you want to be honest, ma'am, I think I'm a panmillennialist. I think it's all going to pan out in the end. And I thought that was a pretty good answer, considering I was on my way to the restroom and needed to be there. Well, she wasn't surprised. Yeah, the Bible says you shouldn't make light of prophecy. You should be able to, to defend what you believe. I said, ma'am, if I had the time, I could stand here and tell you about the pluses and minuses of both of them and, and all, and how I could, you know, defend each one of them and maybe add a third or, excuse me, a fourth one that you maybe even haven't heard of. But I quit doing that because there's one verse that Jesus said. He said, no man knows the hour nor the day, not even the Son, but only the Father. If Jesus doesn't know when he was here on earth, why should you expect that I would know? I thought that was a pretty good answer too, but I could tell she still wasn't satisfied. Well, she grumbled a little bit. And finally I said, ma'am, let me just say to you, maybe we can agree to disagree. And, and you know what? You don't have to be my twin to be my sister. We can have disagreements like this. Now, I could tell she wasn't too satisfied with that answer. So I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get my car and leave here. And she's going to get on her broom and go to her place. <laughs> so what difference does it make? You know what, we can get to the point where we argue about some of the things that, you know, and you can have strong opinions. You can have that. I, there was a man and the member of the church, I probably shouldn't tell this because he might go online and find it, but uh, he told me when he first became, moved, moved from another state, came member of the church, and he said, I'm, I'm kind of a stickler. I'm going to be challenging you all the way along the line. And he did, you know, no matter what I said, sometimes in between services, he would do it. He was just kind of a heckler. So he went through, it's kind of a pain, to be honest. Well, I retired, and I promised that when I retired, after being there for 40 years, I wasn't going to go back to that church for at least a year to give the new man who was following me a chance to, to get ingrained with the people, and then I'd come back maybe to visit if he invited me or whatever. So in that year, I'm living in the same general vicinity, and I'm taking my grandkids to Wendy's. I'm a big spender. And uh, so we're at Wendy's, and we're having a good time. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up from behind me and puts their hands on my shoulders. And I look back over my head, and it's this guy. And he said, John, it's so good to see you. 
And I said, well, it's good to see you too. Okay, I lied. But, uh, you know, he said, I really miss you. Well, I wasn't going to give him a second lie. I said, well, thank you. He said, I don't go to church there anymore. I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, aren't you going to ask me why? I said, no, but I believe you're about to tell me anyway, so go ahead. He said, here it is. They moved the communion table to the side. 20 feet moved a piece of stinking furniture. Man, had I known that's all it would take, and I'd have done that years ago. <laughs> Why is it that we allow those things to have such a major emphasis that we get so, you know, so distraught? And, and I, I talk about sin. He said, the sins that easily beset us, that's kind of frivolous too. I warn men, gentlemen, we have five things that are always attacking us. Self, silver, sex, sloth, and spinelessness. And you know which one is the weakest. You know which one is going to be the most damaging in your life. You've got to throw off, discard those as an individual. And as a church, let's not let the, the minor things take a major emphasis. Number two. We've got to drive with perseverance. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for it. Boy, there's a word that's not very popular in our culture today, is it? Because we've been heavily influenced by the instantaneous. You know, I get upset because, you know, I want a baked potato, and it says on the microwave it's going to take seven minutes. You remember when it used to take an hour to have a baked potato out of the oven? But, you know, we're so cute now, we don't have any kind of perseverance. Because perseverance smacks of two elements that have fallen out of favor, sweat and continuance. I've been asked when I had served 40 years in the same place what I really thought positively and negatively about the upcoming generation. I said, well, let me tell you positively, I like I like the fact that this new generation seems to have a displayed a hunger and they want to search. The trinkets don't seem to attract them as much as my generation went through, although they allow their trinkets to really dominate their life. How many of them can leave their house without their cell phone in, in their possession? But the deepest disappointment I have in this present generation is lack of loyalty. There's too little willingness to press on and fight through when it comes to an irritation or a lull. They just walk away. Walk away from commitments, walk away from covenants, walk away from vows, walk away from years of established relationships in the church. I don't know about your neighborhood, but our neighborhood went through a period there were more forfeited mortgages for people convinced, I'll just walk away rather than to pay it off. There's a church I assisted a number of years ago that needed the faithful continuance of the people because there was a moral tragedy that happened on the staff between staff members. And suddenly, within 24 hours, they lost two staff members and families. And I was trying to encourage the people, hang in there, we're going to get through this. 
But many people say, I'm not sticking around. I, I got betrayed. I got hurt. Remember, I forget, a couple came up to me. During the last month, I was to be at Lakeside, and they thought they were being complimentary. They had, I had served there, and they had been a part of that church for 20-some years. And they said, Brother John, we've been here 20-plus years. We love you so much. We just want you to know that when you leave, we're going to leave as well because things just won't be the same. I looked at them, and this is what I said. I said, why don't you just go ahead and put a knife in my heart right now? Couldn't hurt any worse. Basically, you're telling me I have failed, and you're not embracing the guy who's going to follow me means I have failed you, and you don't have enough guts to hang in there. You're right. It's going to be different. Probably going to be better. Well, the race that you're running, the race that your church is running, isn't easy. Most of the time, it's going to demand endurance. Marriage isn't a continual honeymoon, is it? Your job isn't always thrilling every single week, is it? The church services are not always spectacular every single week, are they? So what do we do? If we're godly, we press on. We get up. We fight through. We keep on keeping on. It's not glamorous, but it's essential. I mean, think about it. Later on in this same passage, he speaks about the perseverance of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Aren't you glad Jesus persevered? here on earth for you. We sometimes walk away because we don't have any spirit of perseverance. Number three is discover a sharper focus. He said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Too many times we let our focus <clears throat> go to our busyness or activity in a direction, and we suddenly allow our activity levels to define us. And I like an active church. I like an active life. But I sometimes want to ask people, with all your busyness, if you get to where you're going, is it really where you want to be? Because sometimes we have so focused on just the activity rather than the result of that. We, instead of really living, are just existing in that moment. You have to learn the difference between what's urgent and what's important. The difference is what's urgent comes after you. The washing machine breaks. The, we have to take care of this situation, this emergency. Kids get sick, whatever. What's important, your spiritual growth, your development in your marriage, your home, you have to go after. I think I appreciate the fact the young preacher who replaced me took the... the church's logo and changed it. It simply said, the church here is to love Jesus and love like Jesus. It's pretty good, wasn't it? Years ago, I was taught by a six-year-old leukemia patient who didn't get the miraculous healing we all wanted. I observed his family, but noticed that there seemed to be a calm recognition in a childlike way 
in this little boy that I don't see in too many adults. And I learned a valuable lesson from the experience of Jimmy as he taught me to focus. As I looked at his life and his young age, I really kind of broke it down. Enjoy your blessings simply. Trust in God completely. Love your family devotedly. And plan your future eternally. Your race has to keep the focus. Rising sun must keep that focus. Your pace isn't the same as the Lakeland Church in Houston or Saddleback Church in California or Southeast Church in Louisville. God has marked out a race for you in southern Indiana that you now must pick up the pace by discarding the frivolous, pressing through the trying, and critically focusing rightly on the author and the perfecter of your faith. The fourth thing is more implied than stated. And that is you've got to develop deeper relationships. One of the most powerful things that God has given in this focused race is the relational encouragement that we can receive to be aided along the way, and we in turn can aid others along the way in their pursuit. There's a bolstering that comes through friendship and companionship that enables us to press on and be strengthened. I like to read about the historical background and events that happened in Martin Luther's life. But you discover that the greatest asset in Martin Luther's life, beyond his brilliant mind, beyond his biblical devotion, is discovered in his wife, Catherine, a former nun, whose steadying hand and encouraging voice lift him from, lifted him from his frequent depressive times and allowed him to con- spur on and continue to do when he wanted to quit. She was there pressing him on. Every runner needs a Catherine in their life. God has made us for relationships with him and with others, and we only can fulfill our life and ourself by developing those. Now, that requires you to open your heart. That requires you to work on developing solid relationships, which don't come naturally. They have to be worked upon through perseverance that we've already mentioned that such development can occur. But each of us needs to look back and realize I have been encouraged and coached along the way and cheered and redirected by somebody who is extremely important even if they came in my life a short time. And the same is true with the church. The closeness of each part of this body is going to directly influence how successful and how continuing it will be. When I arrived at Lakeside Christian on October of 1970, I was a young green youth minister, quite anxious as well. Preached a trial sermon for them in July Their constitution at that time said after the trial sermon, they had to wait four weeks before they ever voted. (laughs) I guess that was because 
That way they would forget how bad the kid had been or whatever it was. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I was told that the chairman of the elders of that church stood up and said, we recommend this young man who comes to us at our early stage. I said the church was about a year old, about 100 people at that time. And the lady in the back just stood up and said, he's so young. And my friend Harry said, yes, he is, but he'll grow and we'll help him. And won't that be fun to watch? I was deeply indebted to that man until the day he died. To this day, even last night, I am dearly attached to his son, who is one of my best friends. And I think about how impacted a 22-year-old young man was by a grisly old bus driver who really wanted to see that church succeed. The ability you and I can have is brought out better by the relationships we develop. Lastly, don't lose heart. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you know discouragement is Satan's greatest tool? Don't lose heart. You're going to get tired in your race. Don't lose heart. You're going to get injured along the way. Don't lose heart. You're going to be weighed down, maybe you are now, about cares and heartbreak. Don't lose heart. There's going to be tears, and they're going to sting. Don't lose heart. But instead, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you don't lose heart. Most of us can talk a lot about the Last Supper. But the next to Last Supper had a really important moment. A woman anointed Jesus' feet. And the Bible says the people began to grumble complain about what she was doing, interrupted the supper. Jesus, if you look at that passage, basically says this, leave her alone. She's done what she could. What a great statement. When I stand before God at the end of my time here on this earth, wouldn't it be sweet Before God has to say and declare all my sins, which have been washed away, that Jesus leans in and says, Father, this is John Russell. There are many who did more. There are a lot who had greater talent. But he did what he could. Wouldn't you like to hear that? The beauty of that is the fact that God is there waiting for you to enjoy that. So don't lose heart. Rising sun, I don't want you to lose heart either. The opportunity presents itself. A pastor, a leader, a minister will come along and be just the right one. 
Do you believe that? I press you do. I don't know why preachers love to do it. I Several years ago, I'm trying to remember if it was four or five. It may have been more than that. Years ago, Arnold Palmer's funeral, the golfer. It was well attended in, back in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where he was from. Some very prominent people got up and spoke. Jim Nance from CBS and Jack Nicklaus, a golfer, and several other prominent people. Arnold Palmer was an entrepreneur rather than just a golfer, and he introduced a lot of things. But the greatest moment came when Sam Saunders stood up on behalf of the family. Sam Saunders is Arnold Palmer's grandson. And he stood there at that podium and he said, I want to thank all of you. I speak on behalf of my family. I want to thank all of you for coming and saying all the wonderful things you did for Dumpy. He said, that's what we called him as grandkids because the first grandchild born, my sister, couldn't say her G's. And rather than saying Grampy, it came out Dumpy. And so we all called him Dumpy. He said, Dumpy could sometimes be so gravelly, but he was so loving. Sam Saunders himself is an excellent golfer and is on the tour he said, whenever I get done with a round, the first person I want to talk to is Dumpy. I'd call him. And the first thing he'd say is, where you at? And I want to say, well, first, Dumpy, that's bad English, and I'm at Houston or wherever I am. And then he'd say, how'd it go? And I would explain to him and go through. Where you at? Oh, I'm in Charlotte or wherever it was. He said, one of the last times I called him, he picked up the cell phone and he said, where are you at? And I decided I was going to come back to him. I said, where are you at? He said, I'm with the president. And I said, of what? He said, of the United States. I'm in the Oval Office. And I said, Dumpy, you're in the Oval Office. Why in the world did you answer and pick up your cell phone? Suddenly there was a pause, and you could see tears forming in his eyes as his grandfather said, because you called me. A lot of things going on in this world, friends. A lot of tragedy, a lot of situation. But when you bow your head in just a few moments to speak to him during communion, he picks up because you called. Because of that, isn't it worthy that we run the race as best we possibly can? Let's do that. Bow with me for prayer, please. Thank you, dear Father, for loving, for patiently waiting, for giving us the joy of salvation we don't deserve. And if there's anyone listening to my voice that has not that joy, have not come under that grace, may this be the day they decide, I want God to always pick up for me. May we run this race marked out for us, unlike anybody else who's ever lived before or living presently or hereafter. Because you have loved us so much and made us so unique 
We come to you by faith, collectively. We come to you trusting in Jesus, but individually, you have a race marked out. And this church is different than any other. May they run their race as effectively as they can. So when it comes to the end, Jesus may say, Father, there's others that could do better. Others are more talented. But this body did what they could. Please bless us to that end. In the name of the living, the reigning, and soon returning Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day. Thank you.